welcome to the King of Games 98. On this episode, we have Baldur's Gate versus Tekken 3. Hello everyone and welcome back to another Battle of 1998 episode. We're taking it back to the 90s, the times where boy bands were all the rage and Alanis Morissette was the coolest thing around. So today we're bringing you another battle where we face two games against each other where they battle to the death. And so today we have two games that are well renowned and that have very loyal fan bases. One of them is Baldur's Gate, uh, that was Bioware's um, original breakthrough hit. And the other one is the mighty Tekken 3. But, you know, one is not a party, so I needed some other people in here in order to discuss this with me. And so I have Anthony Arriaga with me, a.k.a. Polybits. What's up, Anthony? Briax, Briax! What's up, people? <laughs> 98, this is good. I feel 21 all over again. Dude, you actually remember 98, because I remember 98, but I was, I don't know, 9? Oh, nah, man. I <laughs> you were like I an gotta... old man already by then. Yo, you was, were like I was trying working. to swing girls and stuff. Yo, I was working. I was like like trading games in like, a, like an adult. <laughs> yeah. No, I wasn't able to do that because I was in Cuba and we didn't have shit. Oh, um, good times. Good times. And the other person, because we need three in order to break any deadlock, because otherwise we will never be able to get past the arguments, it's Jassy Jeff himself, the guy from the Netherlands that is actually from the UK. Jeff, how are you? Good day, gentlemen. Why don't we get started, guys? Um, are we ready? Yes, yeah, hit it. All set. So I'm a little bit scared about these games because I know Tekken 3 very well. Right. But I think we can all relate to the fact that Baldur's Gate is kind of... You know, a game that eluded us um, for whatever reason. All of us, I think, are mostly console gamers. Is that right? No, yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and so if you weren't really in the PC scene at the time in 98, 99, then Baldur's Gate is not a game that you necessarily have a lot of experience with. I particularly, you know, had read a lot about it and I was always in awe at how reviewers talked about it, that this was a game with so much option and that you could really roleplay as you wanted. But it just always eluded me. And so I never really got to play it when it originally released. Um, but what about you, Anthony? What, what is your experience with Baldur's Gate? I mean, I'm the same. Like, I didn't, I, I wasn't a PC gamer. I, I'm still really not a PC gamer, you know? But um, my experience was it was like, I have friends that played it. And because the thing is, like, you know, everyone always heard about Dungeons and Dragons, you know, that was the, the you know, Dungeons and Dragons you always heard of. And I knew people that used to play that hardcore, you know, what I'm saying like the the board game. Yeah. Um, To a scary degree. I had never seen anything like this. So when I anytime I always heard about Dungeons and Dragons, I was kind of a little like worried about the people I was around, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was so, so like not being hardcore, number one, into RPGs, you know, like I was very particular about what RPGs I would play. Um, Baldur's Gate kind of intrigued me because I always liked that that isometric view, you know, you um, did. Yeah, I always did. Yeah, that was like kind of like the appeal to me, you know. Like same thing with like like a uh, Diablo and stuff, you know. Like those those views always. I don't know. I just that's what I prefer if I'm looking at an RPG. Sometimes you know, action RPG. Um, okay. So, with that being said, though, I have to say that my experience with Baldur's Gate is actually very recent, uh, because my son downloaded it recently. He actually went and downloaded this game because he's a huge Bioware fan. I'm what assuming, is wrong with that kid? Well, I, I'm assuming <laughs> pre-Andromeda, right? <laughs> he's, still, he's still holding on to hope. <laughs> and um, he downloaded the game and he actually loves it. He he loves it. And it was funny because of things that... It, I, was, I had to piece this together because of what I remember reading about the game, seeing the game. Um, and watching him play it and just kind of messing around with him a little bit, I was able to I was able to piece together a lot of different ideas and details that I saw from the game. And 
the one thing in general, like, just because, you know, this is kind of like the first thing we're speaking of right now, but like, the one thing I could say is that it looks like it took the, uh, the complexity of Dungeons and Dragons, but almost simplified it in a way so that a casual gamer could get into it without having any previous knowledge of Dungeons and Dragons. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it put the Dungeons and Dragons rule set, the second edition, and it adapted it into a game so that all of that was running in the background. It gave you an interface to run, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. And that, I think, was one of the biggest breakthroughs that it did, because I think games before this, they had really tried to implement Dungeons and Dragons, but they were not really that straightforward. It kind of really required a master's in order to really get into it. Um, and so I think Baldur's Gate and Bioware, they were able to distill the Dungeons and Dragons campaign experience into something that was straightforward and that felt intuitive. Um, so I think you're, you're right with respect to that. Uh, but Jeff, what's, what's your personal experience with this game, if any? Yeah, it's very little, but it's one of those games that you've always heard of. Even if you were only into console gaming back in the 90s, it was still a name and a title that you would hear around your friends in the in the playground or at school or whatever. Um, I remember a, a mate of mine has always gone on about this game and the influence that it had on their interest and their passion towards like Western, I guess, Western RPGs and um, people who knew about Bioware. Bioware was a developer or a publisher for me that I hadn't really come across for a long time up until maybe the, the mid-noughties. So um, it's definitely a game that, as I say, I was aware of, but when people would explain it to me, I'm like, well, that doesn't sound like FIFA. That doesn't sound like <laughs> Final Fantasy even. So it's like, well, I'm never going to have... Why a- should I play this? Yeah, and, <laughs> and to be honest with you, like we had a PC at home. It was a functional PC. It wasn't for gaming. So whenever right. I would try and do any kind of games on it, it would have to be like Space Pinball or solitaire or yeah. whatever so i never really had the t- like the, the kit at home to be able to play this so it always passed me by yeah and the, and the pc console divide was very marked back then i mean oh, yeah. even nowadays it's marked but you know back then in the 90s to play a pc game was an entirely different experience than playing a console game yeah and it was a very niche experience because not everyone was able as you say to build a PC that could run these games. Um, but I do remember when I would see Baldur's Gate, it's a game that looks very pretty in pictures. Um, and I think a lot of the Infinity Engine games, they have that, that, you know, maybe in motion, they don't look that impressive, but because they have this pre-rendered backgrounds, yeah. they just look very clean and very painterly, you know, and artistic in pictures. And so that's really what called out to me Originally, when I saw Baldur's Gate, it's just it looked so nice, and so on and so forth, like the Icewind Dale games and Baldur's Gate Two, etc. You know, because Baldur's Gate Two was when I actually heard about Baldur's Gate because this came out in '98. I wasn't here in the United States at that point, um, and uh, but I would never have had the PC to run it. So even if I wanted to, I don't think I I really could have done it. Um, but just to give you a little bit more background, like you know, Anthony said, it was developed by Bioware. Um, Bioware had done other games before this, but this was really the game that put them on the map. Um, it was really not expected that it would do so well. Um, it actually, Interplay, who was the publisher, really didn't expect it to sell very well. And Bioware had already done this other game called Shatter Steel, which was kind of like a Mech Warrior-like game um, where you control the mech. Um, and just for a little bit of background, Bioware was founded by Ray Muzika and Greg Seshuk, who were doctors. Um, and they decided to just go into um, the game development. And so they founded Bioware in 95. And um, yeah, that's that's all she wrote with respect to that. But Baldur's Gate itself is an isometric RPG, uh, you know, meaning that there is kind of a, an overhead but slightly askew perspective to the action you don't really see the sky or anything which i think is really what bugs me about isometric rpgs anthony i I don't (laughs) like the fact that i can't see the sky that there's something claustrophobic about that that really does not call out to me that's such an interesting point that never occurred to me (laughs) i i'm I'm that serious i mean that's that's a big point for me 
but it was released in December 21 of 1998, so this one just barely scraped by on the 98 line, but it did. It was released in, in Christmas time of 98, and as Anthony mentioned, it used the Dungeons & Dragons license, but particularly uh, the Forgotten Realms setting, which uh, was really the most popular campaign setting at the time. There were a lot of novels at the time done by, by R.A. Salvatore, um, and this was really, you know, the, the most popular D&D campaign setting at the time. Um, but it also had the Infinity Engine, which is uh, an engine that Bioware developed in-house, particularly for these types of games that was very compatible with the D&D rule set. So, man, we're getting really nerdy up in here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's got real. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's Baldur's Gate. Uh, but let's switch over now to Tekken 3. And Tekken 3, you know, in complete contrast to Baldur's Gate, is, I think, a game that we all have some sort of personal experience with. What, what do you say, Jeff? Yeah, this game, this well, this is probably my favorite fight, 3D fighting game on the PlayStation that whole summer when we spoke in a previous time about Resident Evil 2, that game and uh, Tekken 3 were hand in hand, like the two games swapping discs for in my PlayStation. Uh, it's absolutely seminal for me for that year, so you can tell what way I'm 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 heading in this conversation. <laughs> but it, it really well, was I'll, like I'll do my best to sway you the other way. <laughs> I'm more than I'm I've I've got an open mind, got an open mind. But it it was the game that myself and a lot of my mates who all had playstations this was the one game that we all had so it was a real kind of coming together bringing together of people kind of game where uh, in my in my hometown yeah it's really it's really hard to to put yourself back in the time period you know and and remember how much of a phenomenon this game was i mean the first game i played in the tekken series was tekken 2 and uh, it was not too long before I actually saw Tekken 3, and Tekken 2 was great. Um, still, I think to this day, one of the best intro you know, uh, movies of all time, um, in my personal humble opinion. Um, and, but when I went to a friend's house, and this friend I used to trade games with in Cuba, um, of course, you know, you don't get games right at the same time, but this was around 1999, so this was just about the time period where I was about to live. Um, and I saw, I went into his house, and I saw like eight people hobbled around the screen, and they were all playing Tekken 3. Um, and the thing that stuck out to me the most when I saw it was the sheer roster of characters. You know, because Tekken 2 has a lot of characters, but Tekken 3, boy, they just went crazy with characters. And it looked, it's not that it looked so much better than Tekken 2, but, you know, the aesthetic design just looked a lot cooler. Like, Warren looked cool, Jin Kasama looked great, you know, he was shirtless and stuff. It's, there's something about the game that made it feel like, oh man, this is really exciting. Um, and it was just a great party game. Um, even though it was only two players, you know, you constantly switch controllers, etc. in order to, you know, pick the winner. Um, so, Anthony, what was your experience with it? Because you were a little bit older by then, but I imagine that it was no less important. Right. No, it, it was because I think what this was 90. Yeah, right. Obviously, it was 98. So this is no, year. Anthony, we're talking about 96. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's roll it back to 96. I just like that year. But no, the um, the um, no, because this is year three of the PS of the PlayStation. So when you saw Tekken, you could tell that they were still pushing this thing, you know? They were still pushing the limits of the PlayStation, and Tekken 3 just looked... I mean, I, I yeah, I played Tekken 1, I played Tekken 2, but Tekken 3, like, what did they... The, the roster alone was like 15 new characters, I think. It was about 15 new characters. The graphics were just stunning. The, the full motion video was like... The intro and stuff was just amazing. And what they, how they were able to make the home port actually better than the arcade version, you yeah. know, with the extra modes. Uh, what did yeah. you have? They have the force mode, ball mode, extra characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. it was just sick, man. There was, it was like it was the game for everyone. Like, it, no matter even if you weren't a fighting game fan, you could just play the extra modes. You yeah, know? and you could, yeah, and yeah. you could just bot bottom mash through it if you didn't right. really know how to play, and, and you that, still felt cool. Right. That was like that's what I think. You know, like because. I always felt, <laughs> this is my personal opinion, but I always felt like 
uh, Namco always built on something Sega did previous, you know? Yeah. So yeah. this was, to me, like, this was their anti-virtual fighter thing, you know? But they did it right. I mean, they just... I The, the move list, the... The, like you said, the button mashing to me, like in a lot of 3D fighters, that's the best part, you know? Because anyone can jump in. Anyone can just jump in and start no, button and, mashing. And, 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 the, and the thing is that Tekken 3 also had a cheating mode, which was called Eddie Gordo. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so if you were not good at all, then just pick Eddie. Right. And there you go. You're going to hold your own with Eddie Gordo. And it ruptured many friendships back in the day. And it created many arguments because that <laughs> asshole picked Eddie Gordo, and now he's destroying everyone, even though he has no skills. It, it um, was it was funny though because I remember like one of the things that you would always read about, and you know, like in the previews and stuff, was always like how realistic all the hair looked in the game. You know, <laughs> can you imagine that, was, that, man? that was a big selling point. Like the hair looks amazing <laughs> in this game. But I, I will give that. I mean, for a game of its time. I, I remember that hair back in the PlayStation 1 era was just a block. Right. So you have this block, and that's supposed to represent hair. With Tekken, the hair kind of flowed. I mean, it wasn't realistic or anything, but the hair kind of had independent movement of the body, which is impressive for the time. So, and I think I, I'm going to just piggyback off of what you said, Anthony, that Sega just kind of piggybacks <laughs> off of what Sega, uh, Namco piggybacks off of what Sega is doing. So, you know, you have something like Rich Racer, which is essentially, you know, kind of virtual racing or something like that, or Daytona um, influenced. And right. then you have something like Tekken, which is basically a, a copycat of Virtual Fighter. Right. But they end up always kind of feeling like their own thing. And yeah. I feel like with Tekken and Tekken 2, the distinction wasn't so pronounced but with Tekken 3 that's when I feel like they really stepped away from virtual fighter and really became its own thing would right. you agree Jeff oh absolutely absolutely I mean I've, it's a really good point I never thought about the whole Sega Namco but I guess they were both two massive arcade players at the time right you never so, thought about it but they certainly did yeah oh, it, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I really do think because I also like Tekken 2 I remember I, I I annihilated the demo I had uh, I didn't have the full game, but I played the demo like crazy. And Tekken 3 was that moment where it really felt like this was uh, something that Namco had really refined. I think that there were big leaps from Tekken 2. I think there was like a couple of year gap in the development cycle. So they didn't just churn it out immediately. And they definitely did enough. And you guys have mentioned the modes already. They've done enough that have enabled uh, people to realize, I think... This is something really unique. You know, it really started doing its own thing. And, and for reference, 98 was also the year that Virtual Fighter 3 Team Battle came out. And Virtual Fighter 3 Team Battle is not in this competition. No. So <laughs> that, that should tell you how Tekken, you know, at this point in time really took off and went much further than Virtual Fighter even. Even yeah. though Virtual Fighter was the original kind of game and... And it's a very deep game, but with Tekken 3, they Namco really just put everything together, particularly, you know, in bringing it to the home, to the console, because on the arcade, it lacked a lot of the features that people love about the console release. Um, so it's one of those rare instances where the console release is much better than the arcade, similar to what happened with Soul Edge or Soul Blade, uh, depending upon which region you're in. Um, but it's just the sheer amount of content that they added. I mean, think about it. They only had, you know, six main returning characters from Tekken 2 um, that were playable from the outset. Um, or, you know, actually, no, actually, they, they were unlockable, some of them. And they had, like, over a dozen new characters, you know, including Huarang, including Eddie, including uh, Jin, you know, who Jin is pretty much um, Kazuya. Uh, but you know his son uh, but they also had like panda they had ogre you know which is the the boss right uh, they had gone which was a very tiny dinosaur that farted um, <laughs> yep. I, it's just the game has so much character in it and one of the most awesome and and you know exciting things about playing tekken 3 really for me at least was kind of going through the arcade mode and seeing the FMV, you know, 
endings. Yeah, the endings, seems, yeah. yeah. Because they were always some kind of non-sequitur that made it feel like the characters actually had a lot of character. Um, so, for example, Forrest, you know, Forrest Law, who's the son of martial law, like, if you play through his campaign, I mean, I think at the end he's practicing with uh, with Paul um, and they're like jumping and stuff like that in the dojo and then Paul is like ah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that and then Paul like tries to do it and he just lamps on his face <laughs> you know it's just things like that where you see like oh Paul and Marshall are actually really good friends with each other and they are like constantly one-upping and Paul is kind of the the gung-ho you know macho I, I got this shit you know <laughs> type of character um, so it gave a different angle to the characters, and for the time at least, they were really well made CG cutscenes. Nanko was great at making CG cutscenes. Oh, they were, cutscenes. Oh, they they were, were phenomenal at that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you agree, Anthony? No, no, for sure, man. They the the production value on this. I one you know the other thing too, like just in terms of like the the storyline for the game. I just love the fact that it like they took a they took a chance and made it twenty years later, right? Like this yeah. that took place twenty years later, which was really cool because then like they it, it, it was a good way for them to filter out some of the characters that maybe weren't that good or not popular and just add so many more. Um, and that's yeah, I mean you know that's what I that's what I really appreciate about Namco though, like. The, the the quality that they put in and and it, at the time um of you it was hard to tell the home version from the arcade version if you were watching them you know but that's how good the ports were you know that Namco yeah. was putting out there and they they put a lot of effort and a lot of love into this thing and that was something that was it, this was probably I would, well, I would maybe this is around the first time that we actually saw something like this like an arcade port that was better yeah, on yeah. the home console. Uh, yeah, I mean, Soul, Soul Edge and Soul Blade did a lot of it as well because they added, you know, right. kind of a, a storyline, etc. But this was so, a, this was an existing franchise. You know what I'm saying? Like this yeah. was like the third game in the series, so people yeah. knew this was coming. You know, like yeah. this was yeah. this is a big deal. Yeah, but let's uh, let's jump back into Baldur's Gate because I feel like you know we really gush about Tekken Three because we have such personal connections to it. But but Baldur's Gate, I mean, it really did a lot. Um, I think one of the biggest things is that it it gave freedom to the player, um, and it was very influenced by Interplay's Wasteland. Who, you know, if we're really getting down to it, Wasteland is one of the most influential games of all time. Um, Wasteland has basically, you know, dispersed its DNA across so many different genres, so many different games. But Baldur's Gate kind of took that and just really presented a very nice package around it. Um, I don't know much about the Forgotten Realms um, scenario. I, I know that it takes place on a continent called Faerun. Um, I'm not going to get too in-depth into stories or anything like that, but you could basically pick your race, class, alignment, and, you know, like any typical RPG, you would, you know, slowly go up in, in your strength and, you know, your attributes, etc. And you control a party. Um, and, you know, as you go through this world, uh, encountering people... You know, doing a lot of reading, I think that's a big part of Baldur's Gate. It's just you're gonna have to do a lot of reading, right. um, and I think that's part of the D and D experience. So for the people that were into this, I don't think that was an issue. But for the general player, seeing that you basically have to read several books worth of of uh, writing, you know, that may not have been very um, that may not have been very appealing. Do you think so, Anthony? I, yeah, I mean, it, it, like I said, like the game had like this depth to it, but like it introduced like these really cool, um, really cool features, man. You know, like one of the things I noticed about the game, which was really cool, me and my son were talking about it, was that um, when somebody in your in your um, in your party dies, right, um, yeah. you can revive them, but you have to go to like a temple and have a priest revive them, so they're not lost forever during during the game. You know, um, yeah. stuff like that to me is like, that is so cool. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's so cool. Yeah. It's not like just an uh, instant automatic revival. Yeah. It's like, you got to go to a temple. Like that's that, the, that's that Dungeons and Dragons right there. You know, yeah, that whole yeah. aspect of it. But like I said, it's that Dungeons and Dragon depth, but they make it kind of cool. You know, like they make it simpler. They simplified it in that way, you know? And I think that's a huge reason why this this game is such a. That's why people are still talking about it. That's why people are still playing it. You know, is it yeah. is it yeah. is it that 
it allowed people like single players to play a dungeon dragons type game rather than you needing four or five people or whatever is it is it like the fact that you can do it on your own is that kind of the appeal to it I, I think so. I th- yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, D and D. I don't know. I, I figure you guys have never played D and D. I haven't either. Um, but I've always been interested in it. But just to set up a D and D campaign, it takes dedication. It's kind of like a hobby project. Yeah, right. Um, and you know, it takes a lot of imagination. You have to have your dungeon master and just kind of, um, you know, create a narrative around your exploits. And you know, this presented that experience in a very digestible and single-player format. And I think you have to give it a lot of credit for that. Um, but the other thing is just the importance of dialogue in the game. Right. I think this is really where the game has been so influential because, you know, the dialogue tree, it stems from this game. Whenever you see a dialogue tree in any games nowadays, you can thank Baldur's Gate because it really popularized it. There were dialogue trees before, of course. I mean, dialogue trees have been a part of gaming since adventure games have been a thing. But Baldur's Gate really established the Bioware model whereby your dialogue affected who you are, how people perceive you, and that it has a permanent effect on the game itself. Yeah. Um, So that's really where Baldur's Gate really stood out from its peers. Because you play something like Final Fantasy... It's called a role-playing game, but you're role-playing as a particular character that's predetermined, and it's a predetermined story. With something like Baldur's Gate, you basically have carte blanche to be the character that you want to be. Right. And I think that's really what made it the Bioware experience, that you had choice, that you had the decisions you know, to make that would shape the world in which you played. Yeah. So I think that's very important. Do you think so, Jeff? Oh yeah, well, it's this this stuff is seminal. I've got a bit of a personal issue with dialogue choices in games nowadays, actually, because I feel like in the original state they were really clear on what you needed to choose and the path it would take you down. I think we've got to a point, and I remember Mass Effect Two really being on this: of you have these three options, and you feel like okay, option one is um, I don't agree. We need to move on with the mission. And you go, okay, I feel like that's a good option. I select that option. And it's like, no, screw you, buddy. We need to get on with this. And, and I don't like your attitude. It's like, what? No, that's not That's not why. Like, there's no nuance whatsoever. Yeah. So so yeah. definitely, like, we see it today. And it's prevalent in a lot of games. I just think some games don't quite know how to use it. And the older games, the ones that I have played, obviously not this one, always you feel like exactly what you're choosing is having a real impact and a lot of developers yeah. now are saying you choose a story you make the decisions and you know yada 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 um but i'm not sure, quite sure that games are doing that these days but back then it was that was an incredible thing to do to be able to like affect your path yeah and, and again i mean i think it's a it's that point of like this is real role-playing again not that final fantasies and role-playing but it's role-playing in the sense that you can improve your character stats, etc. But you're not really implanting your character into the avatar that you're playing as. And this is something that PC games always did a lot better. Um, you know, with games like Ultima, they were really at the forefront of trying to give you a, a really wide open swath of options. Um, so I think you really need to commend that, you know, game for for establishing that and making it popular. Um, and so, Anthony, what what did your son think about you know Baldur's Gate kind of coming into it many years later? Um, because Baldur's Gate did receive an enhanced remake, and I imagine that's where he played it, right? He played it on on iOS or or PC or something. Or yeah, he, some of the newer PCs, yeah, he played it on PC. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you, like, what he really, I mean, <clears throat> what I loved about it. Um, <laughs> Um, well, I'll tell you, you know, like I, it's funny cause he gave me, he actually wrote down a few points that he wanted me to bring up. Right. So I think this is very interesting coming from a 16 year old that just played, just started playing this game. Right. So one of the things he loved was that the immersive features, such as your companions, your companions needing to rest and time passing by while traveling from location to location. Right. He, he found that very like 
a very a cool feature. And think about that. This is a 98, though, you know, when you think yeah. about it, when it happened. One of the things that he mentioned, though, and I was, and, and this is one of the things I noticed when he was playing that was, and this is so Bioware, though, it's that the, the quests were sometimes they were, they were untracked. So it, it made you feel better when you would, like, figure something out by yourself. Like, yeah. um, and one of the examples that he brought up was, like, tracking a broken down carriage and finding bandits, you know? Um, yeah. But on the flip side, untracked stuff, and this is like Bioware, right? Untracked quests could all be frustrating because if you didn't know where to go, there's no journal giving you specific information, you know? So so when you say untracked, you mean, like, nonlinear? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so th- that's one of the things that he brought up. Um, but at the same time, he, he not even him being a Dungeons and Dragons fan, he just thought he knew that it's a very hardcore Dungeons and Dragons feature set. And at least for an average player, it would just be very a little too hardcore. But it can take a lot of you know you can take a lot of time to take get back into it, um, especially for someone who's never played a game like that before. And so my son, he. He, he plays his RPGs, um, he's played Diablo, and he this is a kid, like, this, this is how crazy, this game is not 21 years old, He's he, he was born a few years after this game even came out, and he's still playing this game to this day. I think that says a lot about, like, the... The, the, the lasting value of the game. Itself. Yeah, I think to me, to me, that was the most impressive thing, like, yeah, this kid, he's... You know, he's in high school. He's doing things with his life. But seeing him play Baldur's Gate just brought a tear to my eye, you know? Oh, it's like, this is, right. this is my son. I've raised him. Right. <laughs> 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 yeah. A heartwarming moment of the podcast. But I, I think, like, thinking out loud, like, that's, that's where, you know, when we're looking at these two games versus each other, Tekken 3, or the merits of these games, Tekken 3 is definitely a real nostalgia trip. Right. And it's like, okay, I recognize that this was a fantastic game now, but really, like, there are now lots of better fighters out there if you really want to play a great fighter. Baldur's Gate and the people that revere that game, I guess, you you know, you, you always want to kind of avoid the opinions on the extreme scales. Baldur's Gate still draws in new players. And, I f- and it's a very unique experience. Yeah. I mean, with, with Tekken 3... You can play other fighting games, including in the Tekken series, that basically do it better than Tekken 3. You know, if you play Tekken 3, it's because of nostalgia, mostly. Yeah. Yeah. But Baldur's Gate, there's only one way to play Baldur's Gate. You know, there are other games that have improved upon it, but to play that campaign, to play that story, to play that particular feel of game, you have to play either Baldur's Gate or its sequel. Yeah. Um, Yeah. and, And one of the things about the sequel is that it's one of the few instances where the sequel picks up right after the end of the first game. So really this game should be seen as, you know, two halves of a whole. Um but yeah, I mean the fact that there's no other experience like this, you know, there are similar experiences, but nothing like quite like it, you know, should give a lot of points to Baldur's Gate. Um so I guess now that we have talked about that, why don't we talk about the reception? And this is where we start seeing a little bit of discrepancy because needless to say, Tekken 3 is a juggernaut. Um, it's an absolute juggernaut. I mean, it sold 8.3 million copies on the PlayStation. That makes it the fourth best-selling game in the PlayStation. Wow. You know, it's it's an absolute juggernaut. Yeah. The game sold like hotcakes. Mm-hmm. Basically, if you go out into a retro meetup or something like that, you're probably going to find Tekken 3 because everybody and their mother had Tekken 3. <laughs> yeah. um, it was huge, huge in Europe. Europe loved Tekken 3. Um, And huge in Latin America as well. So it really spread its tentacles into a lot of markets, you know, that are really hard to break. Um, So Tekken did absolutely fantastic, um, you know, in terms of sales. And in reviews, it holds a Metacritic of 96, which is the second highest Metacritic on PlayStation. Like, I don't usually care about Metacritic, but even if you don't care about Metacritic, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, 96. (laughs) Yeah, it just shows that people were really big on this game. I mean, that's kind of Ocarina of Time uh, hyperbole we're talking about here. Um, So it received uh, three tens from EGM and a nine from one EGM reviewer, but basically this was seen kind of as, as a perfect game. And I think it was because it added so much to 
the base game that was released in arcade that people were just so in love with and it was so addicting to play this game with your friends yeah um and on the japanese end famitsu gave it a 9.5 it won fighting game of the year from egm and game informer and next generation magazine said tekken 3 isn't quite the artful masterpiece that versa fighter 3 is i think that statement hasn't stood the test of time but it's still awesome in its own right and has moved the series even further from its Me Too roots. The fighting system has evolved nicely, resulting in some wild and effective moves and new characters, a faster responsiveness, and an impressive 3D fighting experience. So yeah, Tekken 3 was very well received. Yeah. Do you think so, Jeff? Yeah, that sounds like a that sounds really fair. It was really fluid. The polygons really ramped up a notch from Tekken 2. Music was brilliant. The new characters, like you said it in the past, uh a load of new characters which was quite brave but they were most of them were very interesting to play eddie was a bit cheap but huarang was brilliant yeah i think that that's at the time you couldn't get much better than that on on the consoles let, let me ask you who was your main jeff uh huarang easily me, me too <laughs> easily as yeah. well how about you anthony he's gonna say eddie <laughs> <laughs> you know what i will say you, eddie? Anthony? i don't care I'm not mad about that. <laughs> not mad about that? You're going to be the, the villain? <laughs> just to yeah, just just cause some friction here. <laughs> yeah. But let's let's switch over to Baldur's Gate. Um, the impressive thing about Baldur's Gate is that there were no expectations whatsoever on it. You know, Interplay, who was uh, funding the game and publishing the game at the time, they did not expect anything out of this game. They were just like, all right, guys, just just make the game and just release it. And, you know, we'll cross our fingers and hope, you know, we make back our development costs. Zero sales were expected in Britain. Jeff, think about that. <laughs> really? Zero sales. Like, there must be some dude, you know, that's really into D&D that would have bought this. But that's some crazy. guy at Interplay said, no, we're not going to sell a single copy in the United Kingdom, but in Britain, that's, that's, I don't that's know how you bizarre, reached that, that conclusion, is. but that's insane. Is this how Brexit started? <laughs> Maybe the sentiments towards interplay, yeah. <laughs> the seeds were planted in '98. Yeah. But like <laughs> even even Fallout was popular, you know, and yeah, I don't. That's that's an amazing forecast. Or someone just it's didn't a, submit it on time. It's an incredibly stupid yeah. forecast. Yeah. Forecast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But lo and behold, it sold like hotcakes as well. I mean, it sold a lot for a PC game. It was on the top 10 PC games chart for like streaking on weeks into 1999 because it was released at the tail end of 98. Mm. So it was selling well, well into 1999. And by 2002, it had surpassed 2.2 million sales. Now, look, it's not 8.3 million copies like Tekken 3 sold. But 2.2 million sales for a niche RPG on PCs based on Dungeons and Dragons? With a That's zero huge. forecast? Yeah, man. With a zero forecast <laughs> in Britain? Boy, that, that, that's some impressive shit. <laughs> I got I to gotta tip my hat to Baldur's Gate. They, they really were the underdog, and oh, they yeah. really you know, seized the moment there. What do you think, Anthony? No, no, I think I think that's that's amazing. I mean, I, I it's so funny. I can't believe the forecast of zero, but <laughs> but but um, you know, just to yeah, I mean, like the you know, obviously, like the PC install base is was never going to be as much as like the console gaming, you know? Yeah. So, and if you think back on the time, like even just one million copies, you would be certified gold. No, back then for sure. Yeah, yeah, even yeah. five hundred thousand. You know, yeah, yeah. So five hundred thousand got you like three sequels. Yeah, back in the day, right? Yeah. <laughs> so two point two million for a PC game, like you said, like you said, Ozzy, just a niche RPG game. That's that's incredible, man. That's well, that's really it, impressive. And it made Bioware into millionaires. It yeah. made Bioware I think, really establish I, themselves. Yeah, I think when you look at it from that point of view, like this is the game that really established Bioware. You know, that's even crazier out the gate yeah. that this is what happened. This is when it started. And it's cool that you could see, like, their whole, um, their mechanics starting yeah. off in this game and branching out into later games like Mass Effect and whatnot. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, and going on the review front, it holds a Metacritic of 91. Again, caveat emptor, Metacritic is not the end-all be-all. But let's unpack that. Let's unpack that number a little bit. You know, this was 1998. Everyone wanted the 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 best looking, amazing polygonal graphics. 
And here comes this game that's basically 2D because really Baldur's Gate is 2D. Yeah. Um, and it has this Byzantine complex rules. I don't think there's any way that Baldur's Gate was going to get higher than this because reviewers were probably not expecting this. They were probably not used to this. This is not what people were looking for. This is not what the market was necessarily looking for at the time. So I could see reviewers just saying, yeah, this is really cool, but it's not Tekken 3. Um, So I think that might have had something to do with it. And there's also another element that I think... PC gamers and PC magazines tended to be a lot more mature and yeah. tended to be run by actual adults that <laughs> were back in the day in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I happen to think that PC reviewers were less susceptible to hype, you know, whereas on consoles, you had GamePro basically, you get a 10, you get a 5, you get a 5, <laughs> everyone got a 5. Um, and they were basically being run by their ad department. Uh, because they needed to sell magazines. I maybe this is me being naive, or maybe this is me just trying to reach. But I, I'm thinking that maybe PC gamers had a little bit more of an objective perspective on Baldur's Gate. Uh, do you agree with this statement at all, Jeff, or am I just picking out of my ass here? No, no, no. It's, it's a really good point. I think that PC gaming back when when I think about how I would absorb information back in the back in the late '90s, and it was magazines. And if I try and picture myself back in a, uh, we call them news agents over over in the UK, but basically you've got like all the all the soccer mags, then you've got all the gaming mags, and all the gaming mags are for consoles, and they're all bright, character filled. They're really like they're trying to grab kids between the age of eight and twelve. You know, like free. Here's some free cards. Here's some free stuff. Da 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 da. PC gamer mags were like that next layer up. They looked mature. They were thick. They had a hard mm. spine. Uh, they usually came with a free demo disc, but the demo disc had Adobe something and it had other software. You're like, <laughs> what is this? What's going on here? It yeah, was really yeah. like, this is quite sophisticated and quite mature. So I definitely think you've, there's a lot of weight in, in, in what you're saying in terms of the, the kind of the mature levels of what the writers are aiming for. So the writers themselves or the, the critics, the reviewers, could have been the same people, but they're aiming for the different markets. And I, yeah, I think, yeah. I definitely think that... In the, I don't think they were the same people, most likely, but, uh, a, but I could see a your job, point. A job's a job, right? No matter if you're writing for uh, home, home, home County Life magazine, writing about horses or whatever, you know, a job's <laughs> a job. <laughs> Um, no, but it's really Decent crumpets magazine. <laughs> exactly. No, but it's really it's a really bit of random random info. But uh, there's a show uh, called Black Mirror with Charlie Brooker. He's the he's like the creator. Yeah. Charlie Brooker was a PC reviewer, PC gamer reviewer back in the back in the nineties. Oh, that's a fun factoid. I didn't realize yeah. that. And it's like when you think yeah. someone who can write really satirical and really quite like forward thinking ideas on what tech can do with our lives. He was a PC gamer reviewer. Actually, you think, well, that kind of adds up. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back, and we'll take a look at the at the legacy of these games, the impact on the genre that they were respectively in, and then just kind of final, come up with a head-to-head and come up with a, a winner. So we'll be back in a moment. <laughs> and we're back and let's take a look now at what the lasting legacy of these games has been um, and really what the impact they have made on their particular respective genres. I know in the past we've talked about impact and legacy as separate um, criteria but I think it makes more sense to just blend them. Um, And so let's start with Tekken 3. I think Tekken as we had discussed it's the moment that really established Tekken as a mainstay franchise and really overtook Virtual Fighter as the de facto leader of uh, 3D arena fighting games. So we're not talking Street Fighter here, um, just 3D fighting games. Um, and 
you know, I think there's also something to be said with Tekken that it made it, it, it was the point in which the console became a really good contender, you know, compared to the arcade counterparts. And so I think it really was maybe not a significant blow, but just a blow all the same to the lifespan of the arcade. Because if you could get the same experience at home as you did in the arcade, then that means that you don't have to go to the arcade in the first instance. And I think that is huge. Uh, and the fact that there were additional features, such as Tekken Force in Tekken 3, just made it you know, complete sense to play it on the console instead of the arcade. Do you agree, Jeff? Yeah, we're really approaching that time now where the arcade in the UK, I remember, really starting to struggle. Um, you would still go there for like the light gun games, but you're now approaching the time where spending £30 on a game actually felt quite cheap in comparison to dumping pound after pound after dollar after dollar into these arcade machines only to get your asses kicked. And I think Tekken 3 was that perfect blend of, as you said earlier, like you can button bash your way through it on the really simple, easy settings. But if you really wanted a challenge, you could really ramp it up and you feel like you're actually getting better and better rather than just feeling like this is just easy because it's a home console version. So definitely those lines are starting to blur. Yeah, because even back in the day, let's go back to the 90s, you look at a 2D fighting game like Street Fighter Alpha 3, the console version was still compromised. Massively. You know, mm-hmm. and yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at Tekken 3, it really was an improvement upon the arcade version. So again, I think that's the moment where players kind of in their mind said, I don't need to leave the home. Do you agree, Anthony? Yeah. Um, you know, it just proves my, my point that Namco's evil and killed the arcade scene. But um, <laughs> I never heard this point from you, Anthony. What? Where did this point come from? I just, I just, you know, it's my Sega fanboyism just coming in, you know. I think though that, like, yeah, I think you guys, you guys, kind of made all the points though. Um, it was the first time that you, the, the line was just completely blurred at that point, you know, and yeah, you weren't going to go to the arcade anymore because this is what we were always waiting for, even from the 16-bit generation. We were always waiting for that that perfect arcade port, you know? Yeah, and so we went from that moment where your console version of Virtual Fighter 2 on the Genesis was complete crap to, okay, this is really good. Right. I can play this now. Um, But in terms of the legacy, though, like, where do you think Tekken 3 ranks nowadays? Did it really leave a a lasting impact on the genre itself? No. (laughs) (laughs) No. I think because I mean you know like like we said we've mentioned it's it there's been better fighters since um I don't think anyone um if you if you're making a list of like fighters not that Tekken is a terrible not that Tekken 3 is a terrible game or not, no no obviously not but I don't think it's it's um at the top of your list anymore you know I think you it can, is for me <laughs> I, I don't know I don't know no 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 I'm just what? I'm you know, I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate like in a way like because you have um, there's been, you know, okay, here's the thing. There's been so many more Tekken games since that it's possible that people have just forgotten about Tekken 3, you know? Maybe people... I, I disagree. I disagree. I think that Namco, ever since Tekken 3, they've been trying to chase Tekken 3. They've been trying to get back to what made Tekken 3 so good. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that deserves props because Tekken 3 is still held as the pinnacle of the series, I think. I mean, I would. Do you agree, Jeff? Yeah. Well, I stopped playing Tekken around. I think number five was the last one I played. Um, Tekken three really felt like for that generation, especially for the console itself, a real pinnacle title. I'm just thinking if it's something that has had a lasting legacy. Uh, I I think that it definitely contributed towards the the continued rise in popularity of having consoles as the main go-to for your 3D fighters. When you think of like when when they started to excel, especially with the Dead or Alive franchise in the next generation, when I think like 3D fighters really started to ramp up the quality. Uh, obviously Soul Calibur as well. 
Um, I think Tekken 3 played a massive part in confirming to, Nam to Namco that there was a lot of value and merit in ensuring their home their home console ports were absolutely top notch. Yeah, and Tekken 3 was kind of another brick in the wall, but really Soul Calibur was the moment where, okay, we went from the arcade is fine to, okay, I'd rather just play this on the Dreamcast. Yeah. Right, right. Um, <laughs> so I, I think Tekken 3 was one step in that direction. Yeah. Um, but I think it also had another part of the lasting legacy, which is that it, it almost made it necessary for fighting games to include a lot of additional features. Um, and nowadays, when you see a game like Street Fighter V that releases without a story mode, you take issue with it. And so I think, you know, something like Tekken Force, which was essentially a beat-em-up game, you know, within the game, it's something that you never saw back then. So I think it really upped the ante on the level of content that needed to be offered by a fighting game. Do you agree, Jeff? Yeah, I would say Namco, You could, if you look back at it now, they're kind of even shooting themselves in the foot at this moment in time. They're giving you more. They're asking you to put, pump less money into their arcades. Um, and it's actually kind of causing the death of one, one large revenue stream of their of, for the company's income. Um, but I definitely think that there's an element of, as I say, shooting themselves in the foot. And you see the consequence today where... We get a fighter with absolutely no additional content. Whereas you look at Tekken yeah, 3, yeah. there was like 12 unlockable characters, two additional non kind of fighting modes, that Tekken Force and Tekken Ball. It's it's incredible yeah. the amount of work they put in for probably the the even though they sold eight million copies, for probably the minimal income that came back. And I think companies like Capcom now, I say, or even Bandai Namco are saying, okay, we need to do bare bones here and try and recoup money elsewhere because we need to make this viable. Yeah, and that's how we eventually end up with like downloadable characters, etc. Yeah. I mean, Tekken 3 just gave everything to you right away. You had to unlock it, but it was there. It was within the disc. And nowadays, companies are just trying to recoup their costs through kind of nickel and diming you with various features or various characters. Um, and I think Tekken 3 deserves merit because it did that. And that's no longer kind of the case. I mean, you still expect it, but companies get away with a lot more than they could have gotten away back in the day. Um, but let's shift over to Baldur's Gate, though, because I really do think that this game had a massive legacy. Um, and I think almost every game nowadays can probably trace their lineage down to Bioware's Baldur's Gate because we now see RPG mechanics in almost every game. We see dialogue trees on a lot of games. Um, I, I think really that Bioware, because they were able to establish themselves with Baldur's Gate and they set up the rules of what a Bioware game would be, they really spread their seeds you know, afterwards. And so Baldur's Gate is really kind of the inception point of what games are like nowadays and the idea of expecting more you know in your choice in your play styles but also doing it with elegance you know because it's great and all to have a lot of option but a gamer will not be as receptive to it if it doesn't look good you know Baldur's Gate you know gave you choice but with a very elegant package and I think you know, that really has left a, a huge impact on the gaming scene. And it was after this that we had Baldur's Gate 2, then we had Neverwinter Nights, and then eventually we had Knights of the Old Republic, which is when Bioware went from, you know, a really revered developer of a niche, you know, genre to, okay, these guys are triple A tier, you know, quality. Um, what do you think, Anthony? No, I, I agree. Um, I think this... See, like... When we're talking about lasting legacy, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Tekken Three sucks. I just mean, <laughs> I just mean that like between this and Baldur's Gate, which I, 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 I maybe I interpret it differently, but I just mean like which game would you be able to play now, you know? And I feel that Baldur's Gate they just set up so much. You just see, it's it's great to watch the, the history of Bioware and just watch how this game, what this game started it all, you know. And to see what they would go on to do after this and make this such a, uh, uh, it made this game more attainable 
to just a uh, yeah. you know just a um, casual RPG guy, um, and just to see how they're the things they, they they put in this game, the seeds they planted in this in this game, what you you would later see in games like like um, Knights of the Old Republic when they were just when they really made their name for themselves, you know. Um, yeah. So I I think I think to me when I look at Baldur's Gate, I just see the the. I just see the way Bioware just kind of started building their reputation here, and it's pretty pretty cool to pretty cool to watch. That's sad now, yeah. but pretty cool to watch then. Yeah, no, I mean, but there's also the element of this isometric RPGs. We can't discount the fact that they died for a long time. Um, they were kind of seen as outdated, and it was only until Obsidian, who, by the way, were very closely connected with Bioware through Black Isle. You know, Obsidian is basically the former developers of Black Isle who did you know, develop part of Baldur's Gate. They brought back the isometric RPG with Pillars of Eternity and then Tyranny and then Wasteland 2 came out, etc. And that's when we started seeing isometric RPGs again. But for a long time, isometric RPGs were not part, you know, were not being released. Um, Everyone went 3D. And so you also can't discount the fact that, you know, the particular style of game that Baldur's Gate provides it's not very popular anymore, even with something like Pillars of Eternity releasing. You know, so yes, its DNA is still there in a lot of different games, but its particular type of playstyle is not that popular anymore. What do you think, Jeff? Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that the DNA striking through modern-day RPGs, Bioware can claim a lot of responsibility for. And that's that. That's the thing that I'm weighing up in my mind now. I'm really on the fence, really, really on that fence <laughs> of like lasting legacy because Tekken Three was it was a fighter, and fighters have been done before. It wasn't like it was. It wasn't revolutionising anything. It was just smoother, easier to play, far more accessible. Had all the all the things were just looked a bit better. But Baldur's Gate, from what I've seen since uh, we we uh, we had this matchup, and I've done my re- you know just watching people do long plays and just hearing from people who really love the game, it's really hard to discount how Baldur's Gate has fundamentally enabled your classic board game or your classic gaming in Dungeons Dragons, and really kept that spirit alive of role play and of really being able to enter a fantasy world and i think that that's a that's an incredibly interesting legacy that this game can 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 claim yeah and we can also thank this game for other games that would eventually follow even fallout 3 yeah you know even fallout new vegas and this particular type of game where it's you know choice focused I think we have to thank Baldur's Gate for that because, yeah, Fallout had already come out by then, you know, when this game came out. But it it was a different experience. It was more action-focused. You know, this game really brought a different type of playstyle, which gave you the options of going in different ways. And, you know, probably had something to do, for example, in other games, you know, in completely different genres like Deus Ex. I mean, Deus Ex was very influenced by System Shock and, mm. and other Ultimate Underworld, etc. But Baldur's Gate, the fact that they were doing this, I, I can imagine that it probably gave some more confidence to the people that, let's say, um, you know, that were developing Deus Ex, you know, to say, okay, you know, gamers are okay with something like this where it's kind of open-ended. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there were other fantastic games like Planescape Torment that would follow you know, that were built on the foundation that Bioware laid down. So I, I really think that its legacy cannot be understated. Um, and I guess let's come down to one to the last criteria. I mean, on a head-to-head match, you know, which game would you rather play? And which do you think is the more important game? So I'm going to start with you, Ant. Oh, man. Damn. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Um, if I have to look at it from a... From back in '98, um, you got to go with Tekken Three, right? The popularity, just the you know the buzz. It was you know it was like the it was like the 3D version of a Street Fighter game being released. You know, it was a big it was a big deal. Um, lasting impression, legacy. I got to go with Baldur's Gate, um, only because I think of the two games, it's the game that you would still play now and. 
Um, even on iOS, you know, just still playing that game on iOS. People are still doing that. Um, so with that being said, head to head, man, I'm going to go Baldur's Gate. All right. All right. <laughs> what about you, Jeff? Yeah, that's exactly the same thought process that I'm going through. Um, if I'm going to put myself back in 1998, I know exactly what I was doing, but I was a fo- I was a 14 year old <laughs> with only one console, right? So, what choice do you have? I, yeah, I yeah. think that when we're looking at the whole tournament, that we're looking at like what is what are the best games that came out in 1998? I have to go with my final decision being Tekken Three. Okay, all right. Good. So we have. I mean, so that's the final decision, yep. even head to head. But this is the final decision. You're you're picking Tekken three. Yeah. All right. So I guess that comes down to me. And uh, unlike Arnie, I'll make my decision pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Shade casted. Um, look, uh, Tekken three is a phenomenal game. Um, I still think that it holds up to this day. If you ask me which game would I rather play now in this moment, I would say Tekken three. I would prefer to play that game. But if we're talking which one is the most important game and which, when compared side to side, is the game that would take the edge, it has to be Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate is a game that still to this day offers so much depth and that has been so influential that I think ultimately at the end of the day, it's one of the giants of the of the field. So Tekken 3... It's, it's an, a great game, but it's a game of its time. It's a game that has a lot of nostalgia tied to it. And it's a game that nowadays you can pretty much get the same experience playing other games. And I think that makes a very big distinction when you're putting these two against each other. And let's just say Baldur's Gate was a game that back in the day was hard to access. Nowadays it's a game that's very easy to access because you can play it on iOS, you can play it on your iPad... And in fact, the developers of the Enhanced Edition said that it makes perfect sense to play it on an iPad because you have the touchscreen. And so it's almost as if Baldur's Gate was released 10 years too early. And so I think out of the two games, yes, Tekken 3 is still the more accessible game, but Baldur's Gate still holds its weight. And I think in terms of its legacy, it's just a giant of the of the field. So, yeah, I will go Baldur's Gate. I think what? that Baldur's Gate I just set out. What? So, <laughs> so yeah, sorry, Tekken. Um, this was unexpected. I, right? No, it's funny. <laughs> I thought... Yeah, I, it's funny because we were talking about this on the, on the thread before we joined, and we've been talking about this because we were supposed to record this episode sometime back, and... You know, I was just kidding as in saying that oh, Baldur's Gate doesn't have a chance. Tekken 3, we all love Tekken 3. Why Why would we ever pick anything other than Tekken 3? <laughs> and so Paul was going to be on this episode. And Paul was yeah, like, yeah. hey guys, I'm going to go to bat for Baldur's Gate. You know, because someone needs to counteract Ozzy. <laughs> um, but there you go. You know, ethics and journalism. Um, I can be very objective. Um, and in that objectivity, I think that um, I, I need to admit that Baldur's Gate is the more influential game, and it's the one that really takes the, the nod over Tekken 3. And so this was completely unexpected. Yeah. They almost well, didn't want me to host this episode. Yeah, they said, yeah. this guy's going to be a hack. Um, <laughs> but no, no, I, I do have integrity, hopefully. Well, um, I think, I I think you've, been, you've been really fair, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I kind of had it in my head beforehand. This is going to be a bit of a landslide. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm like like hearing both of you. It's like, look, I never played it, um, but I can fully appreciate like the impact that this game is as has had. So yeah, I'm. I'm all for it. Moving on to the next round, all for it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, this is, I think, the first upset. This is this is of this matchup. This is craziness. This is a huge upset. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because I thought you guys were gonna vote opposite. <laughs> as we've been yeah. doing this episode I did. I came in not knowing what I was going to vote for and it's funny because the more we talked about it the more I was just kind of like yeah actually I'm going to go this way <laughs> <laughs> well I'm glad that we made our decision that we were happy with it and I am glad that at the end of the day we didn't come in with a bias or preconceived notions With we were biased, we were nostalgic but we were able to put aside that bias and, and say okay which one makes the most sense for us? Yeah. Um, you know, even though Jeff voted Tekken 3, it's still a valid choice. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that someone picked Tekken 3. I wouldn't have wanted it to be a, a no-hitter. Um, but, 
that's all she wrote. Tekken three. You're out. Sad to see you bye. go. Bye, Felicia. Bye. You gave us you, you gave us Ling Xiao Yu's ending. <laughs> Jeff, take it away with Ling Xiao Yu's ending. What's so special about Ling Xiao Yu's ending? <laughs> it's probably the most. It's the cutest, most thought provoking ending to any single fighter in a video game. Not only does she get her theme park, and let's be honest, we'd all want a theme park. She also gets to enjoy it with her pet panda. Of course. And she also gets to punch Hayashi, actually kick Hayashi in the <laughs> oh, face. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So she gets a revenge, and revenge is what Tekken's all about, so it's perfect. That- yep. <laughs> Everyone wants revenge in Tekken. Yep. So see you, Tekken. Baldur's Gate, you have it cut out for you. You have your work cut out for you, because yeah. next... Next round is not going to be that easy. But this so, is this is 20 years in the making, though. This is, They deserve this, this moment. We will see. It's 21 years <laughs> after the chickens are coming home to roost. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you, guys. This has been a fun episode. Um, as always, please make sure to uh, subscribe to our podcast if you like what you hear. Um, but more importantly, if you do like what you hear, and even if you don't like what you hear, just leave us a review. But if you don't like what you hear, kind of be nice about it. Um, <laughs> just let us know what we need to fix. And just don't tell people never listen to this, guys, because they don't know their shit. Um, I hope we know our shit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely leave us a review. That's the best way to get us more exposure. And secondly, uh, we have a website. Uh, on this website, we're always providing you know new content. Uh, we're providing companion articles, particularly now as we're doing this whole battle of 1998. You know, we're gonna have a lot of thoughts, and so you know to really get the full picture about these games, you really need to visit the website. Um, and so, if you like the written form, you know this is just another option to get your region-free gamers intake. So we can, uh, you can find us on Instagram at Region Free Gamers Podcast, and you can also find us on Twitter at Region Free Gamer. And uh, Anthony, he's uh, Polybits underscore uh, Jeff. He's G Spot Gaming. You can find him there. And me, I'm at Shadow of the Collector with periods in between those words. And so, anything else you guys want to say? Nah, we're good. <laughs> we're all good. All right, guys. All Until next games. time. See ya. Later. See ya. Bye.